oh, I put a lot of pressure on myself at the beginning to be perfect at everything and great at everything and, you know, berate myself if I had, you know, wasn't great in one particular area or didn't know how to answer a particular question because it wasn't my strength. And I think now it's just, you know, stay in your lane and identify what other people are good at and empower them to stay in their lane and work on what they're good at. And it's okay not to know everything and do everything. You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Welcome to another episode of the Elevate podcast, where we delve into some of the most interesting minds in business and in real estate for the very best tips and strategies for you to implement to elevate your business. I'm Samantha McLean, editor of Elite Agent and host of today's show. My guest today is Exceed Real Estate Licensee, property manager and consultant, Daisy Campbell. So Daisy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Samantha. Happy to be here. Well, it's great to have you here. You came over from Perth for ARIC this year. Um, how was that for you? Uh, it had been the first time I'd been on a plane in a really long time. So that was very exciting in itself. And um, actually, when we arrived, there was a number of people who had to get on the plane and head back to Melbourne or had to quarantine and miss um, the conference altogether. So it was very exciting. And I feel very grateful to have had the opportunity to speak there and just to be able to make it at all. Yeah, well, I feel that we were very lucky to get Eric in now that um, most of the country's back in lockdown again. As oh, yeah. we speak, I think maybe you and I are probably, you know, in the minority um, being in, in WA in Queensland. But I just wanted, I wanted to, um, I thought your keynote was great on rapid growth through acquisition and I'd love to get in, into that with you. So I remember you said something like you had uh, 90 managements when you started out in 2016 up to, you know, more than 4,000 as we speak now. Um, so how many acquisitions have you made in the last five years or so? Uh, it has been 20 now. Um, we just settled our 20th on the 1st of July, so just after Eric. What led you to thinking about such an aggressive acquisition strategy? Um, look, it was actually never the strategy or the plan. I think when we got started back, um, you know, five years ago, there were a lot of rent rolls on the market more than ever before. You know, WA had been in a downward spiral for quite some time. Um, you know, and I said, spoke to this as well in my um, conference. A lot of them were word of mouth. We weren't sort of working with brokers and, and had a plan, a growth strategy. It's, we sort of did one and then they referred us to another one and opportunity after opportunity just kept presenting themselves. You know, they were um, at the best price. They were highly motivated to sell. Um, you know, things were just going well for us because we'd set up our business in that downturn. So we were quite efficient. Um, you know, we knew how to make it work. Um, yeah, so it was, it was never really the plan. Um, and we sort of do have a bit of a loose plan for growth now. Um, but again, I mean, it sounds a bit crazy, but we're just sort of winging it as the opportunities come up. If it's right, then we take it on. If it's not, then we say no. It's interesting because a lot of people find that kind of um, acquisition difficult because you've got to think about a lot of things, you know, you've got to think about the investors themselves and the tenants and the people and all that sort of stuff. So um, so let's kick off with like you, you have one central head office and you manage property across, I think I heard somewhere 245 suburbs in Perth. Um, what's the thinking behind just having that one central space? Um, look, I think that the day of the old 
sort of corner shop real estate office is gone. It used to be that people would walk in and get the rental list or that you needed the presence in that, you know, suburb to, you know, show people that you had knowledge of that area. Tenants used to come in and pay their rent in the office. Um, I just think it's not necessary. So much has shifted to online now. Um, and, you know, it allows us to have, you know, less overheads and more management. We're not paying for multiple office spaces or multiple licensees and, you know, all of the other expenses that come with that. Um, it also really helps with our team culture to have everybody under one roof. We've got staff spread out all over the place. And, you know, we were sort of working remotely well before COVID. So when that started, it was, you know, very easy for us to make that transition because, our properties span across about 145 kilometre distance. So we have staff who are located all over the place and it doesn't make sense for them to always come into the office. So a lot of them will just work from home. And that's just sort of, that's the way it's worked for us. And that's how we've managed to kind of keep costs down, remain efficient and have our head office so that you can also have a bit more, um, I suppose, control over what goes on in the office over the processes and procedures. It becomes a little bit more diluted, I feel, when you separate into multiple locations. It's interesting. I suppose when you go on a strategy of acquisition, you can either just acquire the properties, acquire the rent roll, or you can acquire the business. Which strategy do you think you've preferred over the years? Well, our preference is always just to acquire the rent roll because there's a whole lot more you know, due diligence, um, liability and whatnot involved when you take on the whole business. But we have done that once before um, and it wasn't that that was unsuccessful. Um, it's just that it's always been our preference to just buy the asset, bolt it onto our um, existing business. It's something that we still look at um, if some, you know, it comes up and somebody's quite firm on selling the business as a whole. But, you know, our preference is, you know, if we acquire just the rent roll, then all of the work is done on the seller's end. So they have to convert those managements to, you know, our agency management agreements and they have to have that all done by the settlement date. You know, we pay for what comes over on that settlement date. Whereas if we take over the company, a lot of that work has to be done on our end. Um, And I think that, you know, when you take on another company, there's an expectation that things won't, you know, they'll might stay the same or it's still the same brand. They expect all of these same things. So it might be a little bit more difficult to convert those managements after that date. Whereas if it's happening beforehand, you know, owners are braced for the change. They know there's going to be a change of agency, a change of, you know, information. And I think it's a smoother transition that way. So let's talk about culture and the name Exceed. So were you part of the, the naming of the brand? I definitely wasn't. And it is a conversation that comes up. Hmm, if I could have been there at the start and had an input, what would I like to have named it? Um, so, yeah, look, when Exceed started and was very small, um, the branding came from, you know, the owners of the business doing a coaching session with, um, a, you know, a digital brander and it came up and the logo was made and, you know, we've come a long way since then. We've changed our logo and branding colours. I mean, our first logo looked like the Xbox logo and <laughs> this is very old school. So the name Exceed, um, you know, it has taken on a life of its own and we do try to exceed, but, you know, I don't think that the name is, um, you know, integral to what we do or to our team culture. You have a mantra, work as if you own it, work hard, play hard, life is better with exceed. So talk to me about what that means to you. Yeah, look, I think work as if you own it is one that we have had since day dot. Um, And, you know, it it relates not just to our property managers, you know, managing our clients' investment properties as if it was their own. And that obviously is a big part of it. If you're walking through the property and you see something not quite right, 
if that was your property, would you just let it go or is that something that needs to be taken care of? Um, but we also have the work as if you own it, as if you own a part of this business. And it's really grown into something bigger here. A lot of our staff have now become shareholders and they do work as if they own this business, as if their portfolio is their own business. Um, so that's something that is a mantra that's, you know, written on the walls of our office. Um, work hard, play hard, I think is a huge one for us as well. And a lot of the staff say this and it is a really high performing office. It is really busy. You can imagine with that sort of growth, there's never a dull moment. It's, you know, as soon as we're over one challenge, it's on to the next. So, you know, we do expect a lot from our staff. We get a lot from our staff and we make sure that we provide a lot of fun in return. So we do a lot of social activities. And when we do, we really let loose, you know, the bar tabs aren't just beer and wine, they're cocktails and whatever. We make sure that we um, go all out when we have fun. I think at the best of times, some real estate business owners struggle with creating such a great culture. And for you, I imagine it it must be, um, you know, even more of a challenge because you're taking on because the number of new people and new properties and things like that that you've taken on. How do you get new employees to understand the culture of the business when they when they come in? Yeah, look, that's a great question, and um, you know there are a lot of there's a lot of different factors that come into play there. I think a lot of agencies. Um, especially a lot of the older ones operate under a bit more of a kind of an old school mentality where there is no working from home or there's not a lot of technology or perhaps not a lot of, um, you know, funds or resources to support the staff. So they're sort of, you know, on their own a little bit more. Whenever we do an acquisition, you know, myself and the CEO, we get in there right away, you know, within 30 minutes of staff being notified and the culture is what we sell, uh, you know, as the benefit in coming over to exceed. So, you know, our culture is that we give trust. You don't have to earn it. So all of our staff can, you know, work from home whenever they want. We never clock watch. We're very flexible with hours. We provide everybody with a car that they can use for their own personal use. They can use their phone personally if they want. Um, I think, you know, the support and trust that we sell from the beginning is huge. And I think that gets a lot of people on board because I think as well, coming into a larger office, quite often people think, oh, you know, where will I fit in? Will I just be a number there? Everybody already knows each other. Are they clicky? Is there too many people? Is it overwhelming? So we really work hard to maintain like a close-knit family feel despite how big we get and how much we're growing. And that has been a challenge, but, you know, we do that through a lot of social activities, through group chats. We mix up our seating plan in our office all the time, you know, like high school, so you don't get too clicky. Everybody's <laughs> Yeah. It's, um, yeah, we do a lot. We put a lot of work into that and it's worked really, really well for us so far. Um, and I think the other thing as well is a lot of staff, particularly end-to-end property managers, uh, struggle with the concept of letting go. I mean, if you heard me speak at Eric, you would know that we have a lot of different teams, you know, where we focus on people's strengths and what they enjoy. Um, and so there is a lot of delegating. Our property managers delegate to different teams and it's always the biggest reservation for new staff is, oh, I don't want to let go, you know, they won't do it as good as I do or they don't know this as well as I do. And we sort of say, just give it a chance. Look how big we are and how many people we have. Um, They're all still here from every acquisition, so we must be doing something right. Just give it a chance. And everybody who comes on board, you know, once they get to let go of the things that they don't enjoy doing, they're so much happier in their job. And, yeah, it makes for better staff retention. I was going to pick up on that actually because um, you're task-based, not portfolio-based. I mean, you said that in in your keynote, which is really interesting. Like, how do um, how do landlords react to that when you know, like, there are still a lot of people out there that say, "Oh, my landlords, they just want one person to deal with," and and that's that. Oh yeah, look, we do come across that all the time. So 
first there's the educating the staff and then they love it very quickly. Then there's the educating the landlords and most often we're able to talk them around that at the beginning, you know, it's a bit hard when we say, oh, your tenant's vacating, now we're going to put a leasing consultant in touch with you. They're going to be a point of contact for the leasing campaign. And, you know, well, why is my property manager doing it? And I think it's just the education process. It's, well, your property manager may not be able to go out at, you know, in two hours and show the property at the drop of a hat, whereas our leasing consultants and our, you know, leasing team have the availability to do that. Your property manager may not, you know, they're busy working on maintenance and arrears and, you know, court and leases and all these other things that they don't have the time to, you know, keep the finger on the pulse as much with the market as somebody who does that all day, every day, like our leasing consultant. So a lot of the time it's an education process. Occasionally we have some owners who, you know, they're just absolutely set in their ways and that they just want that one point of contact no matter what. They don't even want to be able to call a receptionist. Um, so sometimes, you know, we're not the best fit for everybody. But I would say most of the time we're able to educate and convince people and when we bring on new investors as well. So I think as well, times are changing. You know, we have to do that education process with a lot of our older investors. But, you know, people who are coming in here, when you just say, this is how it is, they're like, great, sounds amazing, makes sense to me. So it's, um, yeah, it is just an education process. And I do think times are changing with that sort of thing. I think people are starting to really understand that if you want it now and you want a, you know, a professional specialist opinion, then it's better to have somebody who's working in that field I mean, as a property manager, I know personally when I started in property management, you know, there's so many different elements to that job. You know, you have to be really good with accounts and be able to read ledgers and reconcile payments and, you know, make rent adjustments and backdated rent increases. And I really struggled with the maths side of it. That was something I was never good at. And I always had the best intentions but make a lot of mistakes. But then when it might come to negotiating or conflict resolution, I might be really good at that might not be good with, you know, attention to detail or maintenance, all these different things that's so difficult to find somebody who is not only good at but enjoys them as well. And I think when you separate it and just let people do what they enjoy and what they're good at, it's better for the client, it's better for the staff member, it's better for us as an agency and we just get better outcomes all around. Yeah, that's every everybody gets happier by, you know, at least a good 10 percentage points when they're doing stuff that they like. Totally, Yeah. Yeah. We were just talking about landlords then. And I know that, you know, it can be quite hard to sort of bring them over because they might say to you something like, oh, yeah, but the last agency, they did X, Y and Z for me. How do you handle how do you handle those objections to get the most people on? Is that an education process as well? Fortunately, most of that sort of, you know, um, getting the owners on board is done by the selling agency. So we haven't we don't have a lot of input in that beforehand. We, you know, give them a bit of a spiel, some information on us. They might look up our Google reviews or they're, they're welcome to speak to us before they sign their agreement. But a lot of that convincing is done by the property manager before settlement, before we get in there. So most of the time, again, educating those staff and getting them excited for the transition, they explain to the owner, oh, you know, but we'll have all these extra resources that exceed. These are all the great things. I'm coming on board. The fees stay the same. So, you know, overall, it should just be you just have extra resources and, you know, a few improvements there. Um, but we do occasionally find that, you know, somebody might oversell or, um, you know, be dishonest or maybe just a misunderstanding or a miscommunication. And so sometimes there might be a bit of friction when an owner comes on and says, oh, well, I was expecting this and we haven't really had the opportunity to manage those expectations before they come on. But look, after doing it 20 times, we're pretty well equipped now to deal with all of those things as they pop up. And one of the things that we find the most challenging is out of the acquisitions that we've done when we do um, a small one, so say, uh, you know, a, a single property manager who has, you know, been working from their home and they only have, you know, 40 or 50 managements that they take care of. 
you know, of course, that property manager, that is their business, that is their passion, that is their life. They go above and beyond for their clients. And when they want to retire, um, you know, or move down south, those clients trust what they say when they say, look, I've chosen Exceed for these reasons. I would love you to sign over with them. I'm retiring. Um, then those clients come on board and they can be really, really difficult to meet their expectations or to provide the service they're expecting because they're used to being picked up from the airport from their property. Yeah. Having the lawns mode and the property manager doing the painting and cleaning themselves, making them a cupcake on their birthday. So it's really difficult to maintain that. Um, but look, we just, we just manage the best we can as we do. What you're saying there too is pretty interesting because I think more and more agencies are sort of being more clear on what is the right client for their business and, and what is not the right client for their business. So, and it sounds like you're pretty clear on what works and what doesn't. Oh, hugely. And that's something as well. Like when we do an acquisition, we might bring on a thousand properties and of that thousand, there's a certain chunk in there that we wouldn't have signed up if they knocked on our door and, and they wanted us to manage. But of course, you take the whole lot. Um, so when those contracts expire, we do do an analysis on that property. You know, do they align with our vision and values? Um, you know, what are they like as an owner? What is the property like from an income perspective, from a liability and maintenance perspective? Um, and then, you know, we're not afraid at all to end contracts at the expiry and say, look, you know, thank you so much for your two years with us. Um, but we don't think that you're a good fit for these reasons. And we, you know, we would like to invite you to find another property manager and we'll do the best that we can to provide a smooth handover to them. So we do that fairly often. And we've also become a lot more selective with um, what properties we bring on when they, you know, come in the door. We're not about bringing on as many as we can for the sake of it. We would much prefer quality over quantity. And, um, you know, that that provides a better staff satisfaction as well. Nobody wants to, you know, the old 80-20 rule and they're yeah. spending... 80% of their time managing 20% of their clients and it's generally the low-income properties that have got difficult tenants and, you know, difficult owners who never want to do the repairs and maintenance. So, yeah, we're not averse at all to letting those properties go at the end and making sure that the clients are a good fit for us and our staff. With a rent roll of over 4000 I think you said something like, you know, at, at Eric, that it's large enough so that the organic growth negates the need to acquire those properties again. Well, first, first of all, what did you mean by that? And what sort of conversations do you have with your investors when they come on board to achieve that? 4,000 is a decent number and we have a pretty good organic growth rate from that. Um, but it's certainly not quite the goal of the number that we would need to have the organic growth to negate the need to acquire. So, you know, we would like to get to a point where, you know, that maybe we're at between seven to 10,000 and then the organic growth from that would certainly negate the need to continue to acquire, you know, 300 properties or whatnot. Um, in acquisitions. And um, what do you mean in relation to conversations with investors about that? I'm just wondering if, you know, a lot of a lot of property managers, like, well, a lot of businesses have man management sitting under their nose in their rent roll that they're not quite aware of. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just wondering if, if there's a, you know, if there are conversations that you have with your investors to uncover additional opportunities that might not, you know, appear on the surface. Yeah, you know, that is so true for all businesses. I think that there is a lot of um, opportunity. You know, some occasionally you lose that landlord who wants to consolidate their portfolio with another agency for cheaper fees and you think, gee, I didn't know that there was a portfolio to consolidate. Um, so we do have our staff, you know, do we do run trainings from a BDM perspective so our staff know how to have those conversations and they're incentivized to bring on managements from other clients we do put out a bit of marketing material, incentivize our existing clients to make referrals or to consolidate their portfolio. Um, but really, it's something that, you know, the BDM would sort of work portfolio at a time 
work through, um, you know, flag potential opportunities, work with the property manager, is this owner in good mood, are things going smoothly, um, you know, should we have a conversation with them or send some material out to them? So it's a, you know, an ongoing process and I think um, always room for improvement there and more training and, you know, sometimes the property manager may not feel confident to have that. So we just try to make sure that all of our staff know how to start those conversations or they know that if they see that opportunity but they're not confident in managing that themselves that they know exactly how to refer that on to our BDM or to somebody who will be able to, you know, make the most of that opportunity. That was going to be a question I was going to ask you actually is do you still have BDMs like with all the acquisitions are there still people that actually focus on, you know, like bringing the ones and twos in the door? Yeah, definitely. Well, like I said, we try to train all of our staff to be mini BDMs. Um, We did have a fantastic BDM and she's just gone on maternity leave just two months ago. Um, She's still doing a little bit of work, even though she's got a, you know, really young baby. She's been incredible with us. Um, And we are actually looking to put on another BDM now. So we'd like to grow a team for sure. But we do like to make sure our staff, um, you know, know how to have those conversations, not just in work, but outside of work. We would love for them all to be that. But like I said, you know, everybody has different strengths and personalities and some of them just don't have um, the confidence or, you know, they're just not interested in having that. So so your business has grown to over 4,000 properties and somewhere around the 30 to 40 staff members in property management. Over a period of time, is there, I mean, I'm sure you've learned so much along the way from from that journey. Is there any advice that you would give yourself um knowing what you know now, back then? I think I've come to a really good place now where whatever challenge or thing comes my way that would have previously stressed me out a lot and made me question whether I'm doing the right thing, I can now completely embrace it from the second it happens and go, yeah, this will be hard, but I know that on the other end of it, I'll be able to reflect and I will have learned something really strongly from it um, because I think you know, after all of the challenges and whatnot that we faced over that time, no matter how difficult they felt at the time, I think that there is, you know, no way that you can learn, no better way to learn than in the face of those challenges. I think as well, something that I've learned a lot is, uh, you know, and, and again, this is embodied in our struct team structure is I put a lot of pressure on myself at the beginning to be perfect at everything and great at everything and, you know, berate myself if I I, you know, wasn't great in one particular area or didn't know how to answer a particular question because it wasn't my strength. And I think now it's just, you know, stay in your lane and identify what other people are good at and empower them to stay in their lane and work on what they're good at. And it's okay not to know everything and do everything. And when you have, you know, a team around you who have, you know, strengths that complement your weaknesses and whatnot, I think that that is, um, that's how we have, you know, rapid growth and, you know, a successful, happy team. Yeah. What type of role does outsourcing play in your business? You know, you hear outsourcing a lot in property management, particularly when you get to a certain level. So is has outsourcing played a role in your business? That's a really interesting question because it's something that, you know, obviously you hear a lot about at these conferences. It is becoming increasingly popular in the industry, um, I suppose, in two ways. Outsourcing inspections is fairly popular. And we sort of looked at that and went, well, if an outsourcing company can be profitable by doing inspections for agencies. Why can't the agency be profitable doing inspections for itself? So, um, no, we don't outsource any of our inspections. We actually have an inspections team as if it was an outsourced inspections company, but they're all, you know, either senior property managers, ex-senior property managers who've left to have a child and come back and 
don't want the, you know, pressure of a portfolio and want to be able to switch off at the end of the day or need the flexibility. So we have a, we have a really, um, you know, impressive, experienced team of inspection staff and we do our, our staff, they just insource to that team when they need to. So if they're really busy or, you know, they're not good at inspections or don't enjoy inspections or whatever it might be, you know, or they're sicker away, then they can insource to our inspections team. So we certainly, yeah, that's not something we, we did look at and we thought, you know, if it can work for someone else, why can't it work for us? And it does works really, really well for us at the moment. Um, and I suppose the other one is I, I think it's becoming increasingly popular to use VAs, you know, for admin or processing and things in the Philippines. And um, it does very much interest me. And we do use um, two VAs in the Philippines who do just a lot of invoice processing and administrative work for us. And they're awesome. And I would really love to, you know, investigate that path a bit further and utilize them a bit more. I know that some agencies are doing it really well with a lot of success. Um, so I'm certainly not averse to that at all. I think, you know, we try to keep our property managers who are, you know, skilled with their communications and they know the legislation, you know, so that their time is free to communicate with their clients and to delegate rather than, you know, time spent entering lease agreements and data entry and that sort of thing where we can have that done by somebody who does an excellent job, who really wants to work and, you know, who, who does become a part of the team. A lot has changed for PMs since um, COVID hit us in March last year or February, March last year. What has been the biggest learning curve for your business? Well, I was sort of saying before, I feel very fortunate in WA that the impact of COVID hasn't been very big here. Um, you know, we have had a couple of lockdowns and fortunately for us, because we were all already set up to work remotely, um, it was quite an easy transition for us. Um, but I suppose, you know, one of the biggest learning curves for me is just to keep in touch with the team, I suppose. Um, you know, the value of when you are all together in the office um, and, you know, the difference that that makes when it's like a lot of people love the luxury or, you know, the freedom to work from home. And then when that's taken away from you and you're forced to work from home, it becomes, you know, a bit a bit of a prison and you can't wait to get back into the office. And I think for us, yeah, the, the learning curve there has been to try and spend more time together when we can and, the, you know, not to underestimate the value of that and being able to be all together. And I guess the question that, you know, like I like to ask everyone in property management is if you could change one thing about the property management industry, about its perception or something in the way that it works, what would it be? I think, you know, every state is a little bit different. And um, I suppose in the industry as a whole, I think there needs to be a higher entry level to become a property manager, to be honest. I think it's a bit too simple. And there's a bit of a, you know, oh, they could just get it out of a cereal box, your license. <laughs> it's when it's there's so much that needs to be learned hands-on. You just cannot go and do your registration and you know, step into the job. And, and I think it sets a lot of people up to fail because there's always this expectation that you can. But speaking specifically to WA, my biggest frustration is the court system here. Um, you know, coming from Victoria and VCAT, which I know some people, you know, don't think work very well there. But for me, in comparison, I find the court system in, you know, WA just completely disheartening and difficult to work with, you know, it's so inconsistent. Um, yeah. So that's something that I would change. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that it's broken. <laughs> yeah, it's well, it's interesting because legislation is changing all around the country, everything from pets to, you know, it all seems to be, you know, on, on the side of the tenant. How do you feel? I think you've got two dogs. I think I saw somewhere you've got a couple of dogs. Um, as a property manager with pets, how, what's your feeling on that? 
I do have two dogs and, you know, even, you know, in the past when I've applied for rentals, I've done the whole, hmm, should I put them on the application or not, you know? <laughs> and I get asked that all the time. Um, look, I am, you know, a pet lover and I, you know, have seen damage from pets. I've seen damage from children. And I've seen damage from adults. So, you know, it is all the same. I'm not opposed to um, the pet rule provided that there's, you know, some limitations on that. I mean, you shouldn't have a German Shepherd in a studio apartment or something like that. But I, I think that, you know, if extra provisions are put in place, if, you know, the bond can be increased in WA, we have a 260 pet bond and it's just the fumigation, you know. If you could hold an extra bond for pets, great, you know. I think that that would be very fair and reasonable. Um, so, you know, we do get a bit of an input and a say in that and it is an interesting concept. And I think for the most part, a lot of land, I don't think there's too many landlords on, that we deal with that are strongly opposed to pets. You can normally educate them and talk them around and say, well, if you're going to advertise your property as strictly no pets, you're cutting out a huge part of the market, yeah. um, you're cutting out excellent tenants, and you might be limiting somebody who has a goldfish but considered that as a pet, so therefore they didn't <laughs> buy. Because we've had, you know, all sorts of things that people say, you know, oh, it says no pets, so does that mean I can't have a fish or a bird, you know? So I, 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 I'm not opposed to that at all. It is interesting, you know, like what some people define as pets too, you know, like I remember I lived in a place where the wild birds used to do way more destroying than, you know, anything I, I could have done. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Daisy, what's the plan for the future? You've you've grown an amazing amount in the last five years. What are your future plans for the rest of 2021 stroke 2022? Well, at the moment, we're taking a little bit of a pause from acquiring, um, and that's partially because there isn't a lot of opportunity here right now. It seems that um, a lot of people are out there doing the same sort of thing right now, so the price has come up a little bit. We're fairly happy with where we're at. We're sort of taking a bit of a break for the rest of this year, um, and which is, you know, really needed every now and then to pause, assess the way we do everything, you know, how can we improve, really set ourselves up with a strong foundation for next year where we will certainly look at acquiring again so you know we have a saying in neon lights in our you know staff room and it says we didn't come this far to only come this far and I think that's very true for us so you know we do have um you know plans for the future but by the same token we're sort of just taking it as it comes so. I love that we didn't come this far to only come this far yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's really good. Um, okay, well, Daisy, it's been amazing um, chatting to you today and, and getting to know a bit about your strategy over the years and, and you have an amazing business. My final question to you is, and this is something I ask of all my guests, if there was one piece of advice or um, one thing that you'd like to leave everyone with, what would it be? Look, I think touching on what I said earlier, I really feel strongly about just being authentic in yourself and, you know, accepting the things that you may not be good at or may not enjoy doing and not put too much pressure on yourself to, you know, have to do those things or meet other people's expectations and be able to say, I'm not sure, you know, but I'll find out or I'm not sure that's not really the, you know, something that I'm familiar with or that I work on, but, you know, to really focus on the things that you do enjoy and focus on the things that you are good at and I think that then you go from strength to strength if you adopt that for sure. Yeah, great advice. Daisy Campbell, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Samantha. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joinelitagent.com.